today we are going to finish up our sermon series. I'm, I'm so grateful to all of you for um, walking through this series with me. Uh, this series called Meet Jesus. And today is going to be the end of, of that journey. But I hope maybe for someone today it's just going to be the very beginning of their Meet Jesus experience. Over the past, past five weeks, we've looked through this series of, of individual people in Scripture who had a face-to-face encounter with the person of Jesus. And each one of those encounters taught us something. It teaches us truth about the gospel. It teaches us truth about who Jesus is and what he had come to do. The first story was the story of Nicodemus, a Pharisee who was curious about Jesus and came to him at night to to ask Jesus questions. He wanted to know if everything that he had done as a Pharisee would be enough to get him into the kingdom of God. And and he asked Jesus, what do I have to do to have eternal life? And Jesus explained to him what it meant to be born again. And we learned that salvation is not something that we can produce on our own. It's only something that we can receive from him. It's only something that we can experience. We can't produce it with good works. Just as we didn't do anything to make ourselves be born, as we were born into this world, there was nothing that we did to help that process along. And Jesus says it's like that in the kingdom. Unless you are birthed into the kingdom, you're born again by what he would do on the cross and by the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. That's how we become part of Jesus' kingdom. So we can't manufacture it on our own. Then we looked at the story of the Samaritan woman at the well, and that story showed us that Jesus pursues us with his love, that there are no accidental encounters with Jesus, that when we come face-to-face with Jesus, it's totally planned. It may not have been planned by us, but it was totally planned by Jesus. And he comes face-to-face with us, and he pursues us, and those social barriers that we can put up, that we can put up around other people, social barriers that we put up around ourselves sometimes, can't stop Jesus. As the song says, he will tear down whatever wall he has to, to get to us. Then we saw the story of Zacchaeus. And that showed us that in playing hide-and-seek games with Jesus, that Jesus always wins. That... When we fall in love with Jesus, that also means that we fall out of love with the world. And we saw a transformation in Zacchaeus. We saw a complete 180 degree turn in what his life was about, what he, what he held on to, what he valued. And then we looked at the character of Pontius Pilate and his story told in Scripture. And it's truly a tragedy because... In coming face to face with the question of who Jesus is, Pilate tried to escape it. And there are people all around us, maybe even some of us, that have tried to escape the question of who Jesus is. And Pilate's story showed us that no matter how much we desire to escape the question, no matter how much we want to be neutral and not make a decision about Jesus either way, that that's impossible. Jesus' character... His identity, who he is, demands 
that we make a choice. He either is who he says he is or he's a liar. And we have to choose. And in trying to avoid the question, what we've done is said no to him. And then the last story we looked at was the story of the repentant thief on the cross. Powerful, powerful encounter with Jesus. And he helped us realize that when we realize the power of God, first of all, the power of God and authority over us, and we realize that because of his power and because of our sin, we stand in judgment under God's law and that we deserve punishment. Not just punishment here, but punishment for all eternity. Because we are naturally hostile toward him because of sin, because of the fall. We come into this world not friends of God, but enemies of God in our flesh. And once we realize that, we see his power for who he is. And we realize that we stand in need of forgiveness and mercy from his judgment, which is completely fair. That when we fall on the mercy of Jesus, he gives us a promise. And the promise is that we will forever be in his presence. That we will always be with him. We said that going to heaven isn't about seeing Jesus. Going to heaven is about being with Jesus. About being in his presence. And God offers his son as the sacrifice for the greatest of all Sinners, There are no sinners that the cross is not powerful enough to save. The blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. And there's no one beyond the reach of his grace. Even, even to the, that last moment of his life, it wasn't too late for him to come to Jesus. And Jesus gladly accepted him and said, Today you will be with me. In paradise. So this morning, I want us to think about one more story. And of all the stories that we've looked at so far, this one is the most important. This is one is going to be the most powerful for you. You notice in your bulletin that there's no title for today. Uh, left a blank there, and I did that for a reason. What I want you to do, if you're a note taker or you like to write in your bulletin and you got a pen with you, you know what that blank is for? It's for you to write your name in. Your name is the title of today's message. The story we're going to look at today is yours. Not anybody else's, not mine, not the people sitting around you, but yours. Because what we have in common with all the people that we've looked at in the scriptures, just like they have a story, we have a story. And everybody's story has three big parts to it. All of us have a before Jesus story. All of us have a story of who we were before we came in contact with Jesus. All of these people had that story and so do we. And some of us, 
We've all lived that story, but some of us are still living in our before Jesus story. There's so many people around us who are still living in that first part of the story, that before Jesus phase. But then after that, you have a meet Jesus story. Everyone in all of these sermons had a story where they came face to face with Jesus. And I'm pretty sure that at some point, everybody in this room has come face to face with the gospel. That you've come face to face with Jesus. All of these characters encounter Jesus in different ways, different places, under different circumstances, and the same is true for us. Some of your stories of how and where and when you met Jesus are very different. And I've heard many of them. And they're all true, and they're all incredible. But some people, their meet Jesus story isn't complete because you've come face to face with Jesus and maybe you're like Pilate and you haven't made a choice yet. Or maybe you're like so many others in the scriptures who came face to face with Jesus and decided you weren't willing to pay the cost of the discipleship he calls you to and you walked away. And then if you have a before Jesus story and you have a meet Jesus story, you also have an after Jesus story. And the thing about the gospel is it makes, the Bible makes it plainly clear that with a genuine encounter of salvation with Jesus, the result of that is a changed life, is a changed heart. We saw that in Zacchaeus, who came down out of the tree and changed completely everything that he did. We saw that in so many characters. 2 Corinthians 5.17 is a familiar passage, but, but it's so important to understand in the gospel. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone, and the new is here. Jesus does not come into our lives and keep everything the same. The evidence, the true evidence of a genuine salvation experience is found in a changed life. But what's tricky for some people is that they try to change their life without the gospel. And sometimes from the outside, it's difficult for us to discern the difference. But if we're talking about your story, I'm pretty sure that you know the difference. I'm pretty sure that you know the difference between your effort to try to change your life to look Christian and that encounter with Jesus where he came in and changed you from the inside out. If there's no change in your heart, no change in your mind that's a part of your story, then you really don't have an after Jesus story yet. Because many people think that they can fill that story with things like a walk down an aisle or a prayer repeated after someone else or, or a card that signs them up for church membership and none of those things bring change into our life the way the Holy Spirit does. And this is why the story of so many Christians is so unbelievable to the world. 
is that there's no difference. And as all great stories, they're all unique. You have a story, and the truth is, as great as all these stories are, there is no story that's greater than yours. Because everybody has one. I have a story. And if you know your story, sometimes it's easy to think that your story is boring. Some of us have dramatic stories of where Jesus found us and we saw his mercy and we asked for it and he granted it and he has changed us so drastically from the inside out. And then sometimes, especially if you've grown up in the church, you may think, wow, well, my story, it's true. I know it's true, but it just doesn't seem that grand. It doesn't seem that miraculous. I just want to tell you this morning that every story of a changed life because of the gospel is a miracle. It doesn't matter how dramatic you think it's supposed to be. It is a miracle. My story, in many standards, wouldn't sound that dramatic. I was the good kid. I was the one growing up that my mom made sure I went to church all the time and and I was kind of the rule follower. I was the one who wanted to always make sure I did everything the right way. I was the kid for you guys who are, who are teachers. I was the kid who, after you gave the assignment, I would sit at my desk and do one problem and then get up and go to my teacher and show it to him and say, did I do this right? And my teacher would just roll their eyes and look at me and go, go sit down and do your work. Like, quit coming and asking me that all the time. I was that kid. And I was kind of that kid in church, too. My mom always made sure we made sure I was at church. And the church that I, I first remember going to, we had a children's church. We had a children's ministry. And, uh, and I would attend children's worship on Sunday morning. And um, my favorite thing about going to children's church was um, there was a little incentive for being there. Every week, somebody went home with a big old honking candy bar. And the way you got the candy bar were, was you were the most well-behaved kid in the children's church, in church that day. You sat in your seat. You didn't talk. You, didn't, you weren't disruptive. You watched. You paid attention. You listened. And the leaders would always choose one kid at the end of every children's church that had been the, the most well-behaved, and they would get that candy bar. Well, I made that my mission to get that candy bar every week. So I would go in and I would sit and I would listen and pay attention. and Half because I wanted to know what they were saying, but then the other half because I wanted the candy. And so I remember one Sunday when I was eight, the, the leader, the gentleman who was teaching us that day, he was talking to us about heaven and hell and about the difference between those two places and how asking Jesus to come into our heart was what determined which place we went to when we died. Well, I'm eight years old, but it doesn't take a rocket scientist when someone explains to you the difference between heaven and hell for you to decide where you want to end up. So as an eight-year-old that day, I heard, I understood what I needed to do to make sure that I went to heaven. And I was the kid who wanted to do everything right. 
So I decided that was something I needed to do. And so there was an invitation time, and I'm sitting in my chair, and I remember very distinctly, I'm sitting in the last chair of the roll, little metal folding chairs, closest to the aisle, which made it easy, and he said, everybody bow your head and close your eyes, and they always made a big deal about, you know, if you remember, big deal about every head bowed, every eye closed, no one looking around. And so I did that. And then he said, if you, wanna, if you want to invite Jesus to come into your heart, just get up out of your seat and come up here to the front, and someone will take you and talk with you. Well, I decided that's what I wanted to do. But I still wanted that candy bar. So in my mind, if, if I could have been an eight-year-old Pharisee, like if, like if it's possible to have an eight-year-old Pharisee, I think I was that kid. Because I got up out of my seat, I wanted to go forward, but I also wanted to keep all of the rules to make sure I got the candy. So I literally, stand, sitting in my seat, with my head bowed and my eyes closed, they always say, always keep your head bowed and your eyes closed, I can't look up. But I want to go forward. So I step out of my seat. And with my head bowed and my eyes closed, I don't really know. I know it's this way. And so as a little eight-year-old kid, I'm walking the aisle of this children's church. And, and I have my arms out because I don't want to run into anything. And I'm trying to make it forward while still keeping my head bowed and eyes closed so that I follow the rules. And the, and, the, and the gentleman who, who was leading, he came up to me and said, you can open your eyes now. <laughs> and he brought me to the front, and they took me back, and a sweet lady shared with me how to ask Jesus into my heart. And I did that. I was eight years old. And, was, uh, and I remember it. It was March 25th, 1984. And I remember it because I, I went home that day, and I wrote that date in my Bible so that I would always remember it. And then... A week or two after that, I was baptized. I remember that. And so we went on from there, and I knew, okay, now I don't have to worry about going to hell anymore. I know if something happens to me, I'm going to go to heaven. But as I grew and got to be a teenager, we transitioned to a new church, and I was part of a, a youth ministry for the first time, and, and uh, loved that. And we went to summer camp, and one year at summer camp when I was 13, I heard the gospel shared and preached, but it was different than the way I'd heard it when I was eight. Because there was a, a responsibility that went with the gospel for the first time. It wasn't just my lift ticket to get to heaven. And the camp pastor explained that when we give our lives to Christ, that we don't just give him our heart, we give him our entire life. That we give our life to serve him, and our response to him saving us is a sacrifice life before him and I knew that I had never really done that as a kid I thought I had just gotten my ticket to heaven but as a 13 year old there was a new understanding of the gospel that I'd never understood before and the Holy Spirit showed me that that was what God really was calling me to was not just to be saved so I could go to heaven not just give him my heart but he wanted my whole life and so as a 13-year-old, I responded to another invitation. And folks, after that experience at 13, that's really when my life changed. That's when I saw the world in a new way, when I saw 
God in a new way. And I earnestly began to follow, and my prayer began to be, God, I want to I do what you want me to do. I want to serve you. I don't just want to know that I'm going to heaven when I die, but I want my life to count for you here. And so I began to grow. And then by the time I was 16 was when I first began to hear the Holy Spirit speak to me about a calling. And I began to think and hear God's voice saying, I, I want to call you out. I want to set you apart to do something special for me in ministry. And I didn't know what that looked like as a 16-year-old. But I knew enough to know that I wanted to be obedient, whatever that was. And so from that time began my pursuit of trying to figure out what is it that God wants me to do. And then as a part of that process, I, I kind of came up with a plan for what I thought God wanted me to do. And I started strategizing. I started planning out exactly how I was going to be used of God, how he was gonna, what he was going to call me into and what I would do to serve him. And it took me until about my sophomore year of college before God got my attention and said, you know what? I haven't called you to create your own plan and then have me put a stamp of approval on it. What I want is for you to let me write your plan. I want you to take what I have planned for you instead of trying to come up with your own. And so I remember as a college student, still, still living at home in my bedroom, I, I remember distinctly having a moment with Jesus where I said, you know what, God, if, 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 the blue, if all this stuff that I've planned out before me is a blueprint of my life and how I'm going to serve you, like I just want to take it right now and cram it up and throw it in the fire and burn it. And I want a brand new blank piece of paper, and I want you to write it. I want you to draw it. And I'll do whatever it is that you draw out. So here I am. Not where I thought I would be. Certainly not where I planned to be. But it's the greatest story that I know because it's mine. I don't have some great moving testimony of how God pulled me out of the ditch or the gutter of a sinful life. I never really did anything really, really bad before. But even in my goodness, I was so lost. Even in my goodness, I was a wretch before a holy God. And the fact that he would come to me and he would show me his love and his grace and give me an open invitation to, to receive that gift from him is a miracle, y'all. And it's the same for you. It's the same miracle. doesn't matter how dramatic you think it has to be or how boring you think it is. I hope every one of you have a story. So that's what I want to ask you this morning. That's, that's the pinnacle of, of this entire series is, is for me to come and ask you the question this morning, what is your story? And if you already have a story, like I do, if all three parts of that story, your before Jesus, your how I met Jesus, and your after Jesus story is all intact and you know what it is and you're confident in that, the question I have for you is, are you telling your story? And if you're not, why? Because your story is a miracle. 
And if you have a story, God wants you to tell it. But I know for some of us maybe here this morning, your story isn't finished. Maybe everybody has a before Jesus story, but maybe your meet Jesus story is incomplete because every opportunity you've had, you've walked away from or... Or maybe you've just not been ready. Or maybe you try to fill it with, with your own attempts to try to be good enough, to try to create this works righteousness on, on your own. That new creation that 2 Corinthians 5.17 talks about has never happened in you. And you know the difference. The Holy Spirit helps us know the difference. And so this morning, I'm going to ask you again, I'm going to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes for just a few moments this morning. We're going to do something a little bit different. I want you to think about what your story is. Some of us may have a story like Nicodemus, where you've tried to let your righteousness be the thing that brings you to Jesus and and if you identify with Nicodemus this morning I want you to know that this morning you can stop trying to be a good Christian without being reborn that being born again is the only way that you can come into the kingdom and maybe this morning you want to lay down all of your your own attempts at righteousness and accept what Jesus has done for you if you feel like the Samaritan woman, I want you to know that Jesus knows all your sin. He knows all the horrible things about you that nobody else knows. And he also knows all the things that people say about you. That you know everyone knows about you. And you think it makes you unworthy. But Jesus says to you, no, I've come to you because I desire to forgive you. And these barriers and boundaries that you put up and that other people put up, they're not strong enough to keep me away. If you identify with Zacchaeus and you've just been curious and you're trying to figure out if Jesus can really fill the void that you fill in your life, you know that your life is empty. You may have everything that a person could want. But you know there's an emptiness. And you've been watching Jesus from a distance, trying to figure out if he's real. Well, I want you to know this morning, he really is real. And this morning, he passes by the tree that you're hiding in. And his invitation to you is, come down out of your tree. Come and follow me. I want to go home with you today. <laughs> Some of us may feel like Pilate and we've just been running away from the choice because we think if we can just be neutral that somehow we're innocent. But the truth is nobody is innocent. We're all guilty. And maybe you've been afraid to choose to accept who Jesus is because you're afraid it's going to cost you too much. Well, I'll tell you, following Jesus absolutely does cost you. 
but there's nowhere else to find real life. There's nowhere else to find truth, as Jesus tried to tell Pilate. Every day you avoid him is a day that you reject him. So I hope that for you, the day, today will be the day that you are willing to finally answer the question, what do I do with Jesus? And then maybe some of us feel like the thief. We think it's too late, but it's not too late. If you understand who Jesus is, and you understand who you are, and you realize your need for him this morning... There's nothing keeping you from receiving the promise that that thief received on the cross that you will be with me. You're not too guilty. You're not beyond his love. You're not beyond his forgiveness and grace. If you'll reach out for his mercy, he'll give it.